All right, so this afternoon we are doing a podcast on Bibles, as you can see, which is why we're also doing a video. And um, someone asked me the other day about buying a study Bible, which is kind of what prompted this idea of, of doing a podcast, doing a video on study Bibles. I want to do a video so we could actually show what we have. Um, so let's just identify, you use this term, Mike, self-feeder. Yes. Right. Um, and, and I think study Bibles have a part in that self-feeding. Definitely. So what do you mean by a self-feeder? I think a self-feeder of God's Word is somebody that can read Scripture and then be able to work through it, break it down, so that they can understand the Bible truths that are in it, and then be able to pull out personal application to their own life. Okay, right. So a self-feeder is someone who's going to be reading the Word of God and then attempting to grasp it as it's on the paper, as it relates to what it meant, and then how does this pull into my own life on the day-to-day basis, slugging it out, serving the Lord, that type of an idea. Yes, sir. All right, very good. So we have assembled some study Bibles. Mike, what was the number that you thought we'd be able to put together? Well, when you asked, I was thinking like, what we actually use. And so I said eight total different ones between us. Right. But somebody at the table definitely stacked the table so that I was wrong. Stacked. Stacked. Yes. Literally. Yeah, that was excellent. So let's just identify What do you have? What are your study Bibles that you have? We'll start with Mike and then we'll see if anyone has different stuff. So I have life application. Uh, This is within the NIV version, but you could get life application in multiple different translations. I have the Nelson Study Bible in New King James. I have the ESV Study Bible. Whoops, that's this one, sorry. ESV Study Bible. And then the Holman Christian Study Bible, which the newer version would be just the Christian Standard Study Bible. All right, very good. All right, what do you have, John? I have the ESV, like Mike did. And then this was the first study Bible I ever actually received. Um, and it's the John MacArthur Study Bible. Got right. that back when I was about 20. Yep. Steve, you have a pitiful showing there. Did you? Uh... I, I brought what I didn't think anybody else would might oh, bring. Okay. So I, I figured the ESV would be on the table, the MacArthur, the yep. net, well, net, I knew you would bring that one. Um, I wrote my very first study Bible I got when I was um, in fourth grade. Um, it's a, um, the open Bible. And was that a red Bible when it was first it purchased? Was, or? It was burgundy. Oh, it yes, was burgundy. It's okay. kind of faded over time. It's, uh, I think I got it was it. pink when you first bought it. <laughs> That's what I was wondering no, about, it, whether it was, it was like a mauve color. It was dark burgundy. And it, okay. it's, um, With a little zipper it's 41 years old. So 41, 42 years old. 42 years old. Right. That's awesome. So there's a Bible on the table older than I am. But. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it has, has lots of notes and, and uh, markings in it. Very cool. Um, but that was my very first. And then I also have a life application study Bible, which mine was, um, I've had it for a long time, was King James. And, um, and I, you have a... I still use that. And then another one that I grabbed because I just thought it was interesting, the Maxwell Leadership Bible. Um, and I've really enjoyed that. It's been a great help just in preparing little devotionals for um, to teachers, faculty, staff, and, and different venues such as that. Yep. All right. What do you got, Brian? All right. So I have, and I will throw it out, the hardback version of the ESV Study Bible. It is... Almost half the cost right. of the, the soft cover ones. Yep. So um, if, if budget is something, but you want the ESV study Bible. And then this one was um, my oldest that I have. This is the Schofield study Bible in the King James Version. Yeah. Um, it is falling apart. Is it the old Schofield or the Ooh, new Schofield? You know, that's a great question. Yeah, I have um, one of each. Yes. <laughs> I will let you know. So it just says the Schofield study that's Bible. That's probably the so, old one. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was one given to me by my senior pastor when I graduated high school. Um, so very foundational, very helpful as I went through college. And then I also have the NET study Bible in yeah. print form. So. All right. Um, I have a few here. A few. This is a Reformation <laughs> at least, at least eight. Um, King James Bible. This is a Jewish study Bible. This is the Gospel Transformation Bible. Mike, what's the difference between, or do you know if there's any difference between the Holman, which is what I have here, and then the... The update? It would just be an updated version. Did so. they just drop just the H, or is there anything else? So the key difference is the Dulos translation. In the Holman, for the first three iterations, they would translate it slave. 
but then in the fourth iteration, when they dropped the Holman and went with CSB, Christian Standard Bible, then they switched and they now translate it like most other modern translations to be servant. Servant, okay. All right, then I have the ESV like others said as well. I, uh, this is an interesting one. This is a Reformation study Bible. This is the R.C. Sproul uh, Bible. Um, I really like this. This is a uh, Zondervan study Bible, NIV Zondervan study Bible. This is D.A. Carson's notes. And, um, and I find D.A. Carson to be very helpful. So those are good quality notes. We already said the life application. John, you already mentioned the, the John MacArthur Study Bible, and we've mentioned the ESV. And I had one that I could not bring because I was not allowed to take it from home because we read it at home. But it's really interesting, it's, and I didn't really feel like it fell into the category necessarily of a study Bible, but it was uh, the C.S. Lewis. And what they've done is they've put a lot of his writings in, in like near the passages that they would address. So it's not exactly a study Bible, but it's been really something I've been enjoying lately. All right, so now let's talk about um, what is a study Bible. How would you explain what a study Bible is? What makes a study Bible a study Bible? Who wants to grab that question? I'll jump on it. Um, so a study Bible is more than just references that might be at the bottom of the page of a different verse. It is commentary of an individual or a panel of people that they have put into the pages of the Bible. So, um, for example, on any given page, um, you will have verses at the top, and then not only will you have your numbers, but you will have a section of notes at the bottom, and then depending on which Bible you have, uh, will reflect on how many notes. Uh, the Schofield doesn't have a lot. You go and look at a study Bible like the ESV, and up to a third of the pages are going to be study notes to clarify, to explain, um, to give you things that you might need to know about a particular passage. Uh, so, it, you know, we mentioned that self-feeder option. It's almost the idea of listening to a sermon as you read through it because someone's explaining a passage to you. Yeah. Mike, what's next? Well, I thought we would talk about translation because you can get study Bibles in different translations. And so does it matter to you guys what translation a study Bible is in? Does it matter what translation a study Bible is in? Or does it affect how you look at... So your D.A. Carson as opposed to your MacArthur that you can get in a New King James or an ESV version. Yeah. Well, I think you have to, I think you have to separate the translation issue from the study Bible issue. So I'm, I know that I'm reading the NIV. I, I'm well aware of that. I know what the limitations and the strengths of the NIV are. So that doesn't keep me from reading it. Um, but I don't have this on my desk because of the NIV. I have this on my desk because I found that D.A. Carson's notes are exceptionally uh, helpful. And I think we ought to take a moment because I think you alluded to it just a little bit. Um, we have a MacArthur study Bible. This is a D.A. Carson study Bible. There's a Jeremiah, uh, what's his last name? Um, David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah, right, yeah. They, there's, you know, so all these famous preachers have their own study Bible. Piper doesn't have one yet. Um, I'm sure it's in the works. But what's the difference between that and, say, an ESV study Bible, Brian? All right, so the difference is the individual name, when there's a name attached to it, it is primarily the notes of that person that have been reviewed by other people for spelling, for you know continuity, those kind of things. As opposed to an ESV study Bible, and um, I don't have the page earmarked or anything um, off the top, but each individual book of the ESV study Bible has a different translator, has a different no, note. Not, not translator, that's not well, even, even in their even in their translations. Even in the translation of the ESV Bible, there were different individuals oh, that oh, worked yes. together. Not a different translation, different translator. So the guy who is coming and the initial translation um, has different have teams that work. They have teams books. together that work on it. Because I got to meet um, Dr. Bill Barrick, who's out at the Master Seminary, was one of the contributors of this Bible. So he had he worked in translation of one particular book when they were composing the ESV but it's his notes that are actually in other books as far as what's going on. So he writes his notes. Um, I forget which Old Testament books off the top of my head he commented on. Right. He writes his notes, 
and then his notes have to go before a panel, a committee, several revisions of people to say, does this fit within the scope of what we want for our study Bible? Right. As opposed to, he's the man, it's his study Bible, and that's the direction we're going. Um, before we turned on the microphone, uh, we were kind of talking about the MacArthur Study Bible, and Mike, you mentioned you know, why you didn't have one, yes. uh, or why you didn't initially purchase one early on, um, because of his theological persuasion that you knew was going to go through his study notes. Yes, and I also didn't think that he had an exhaustive enough amount of study notes. I thought it was pretty light in a lot of places. So uh, when I came along, I just didn't think it was worth the price at that point. I mm -hmm. thought that you know the, the, the Nelson New King James Study Bible that I had, it had way more exhaustive notes. And mm -hmm. it was more not so slanted in a reform direction. Yeah. And I, I guess to answer your original question, I think for someone that is founded in their faith and a mature believer, they can utilize different translations and different notes where uh, someone that's newer in their faith should probably maybe be a little more leery of that and stick some to a more literal translation and the um, notes, study notes that go along with that. All right, well, let's I, think, I think purchase order goes along with this. Because if you're looking, I have no study Bible whatsoever. Right. I need a study Bible. What's the first recommendation? Right. Ten times out of ten, this is the one I'm recommending to someone. If you're going to buy one, buy this one. But if you have two or three and you're looking, well, then maybe the translation... Well, let's answer the question, why that one, Brian? What, what, why this particular yeah, one? why that one? Because, one, it starts with the translation basis. The ESV translation, I think, find, strikes a good balance between being faithful to some of those theological terms like propitiation, like atonement. It's faithful to those words that we've seen out of the King James, the New King James, the NASB, some of the older translations. But it also looks for the readability, so it's a good translation, and the notes are very easy to read. Um, when we get to talking about the Net Study Bible, the Net Study Bible is not something I would recommend no. to anyone who is early in their faith no. or even at a couple years in. Because I read through some of the notes and I have to read them a second time yeah. because I'm like, wait, what did you say? Why? And because of the purpose of the notes. Right. So the purpose of these notes are... Let me help you understand what's going on in context, what might be happening in the culture, what, how does this relate to the big narrative of Scripture. Those are notes that you'll find in the ESV Study Bible, which is why it's my number one recommended, which is why we as a church give it out to the seniors graduating from high school. Right, right. And Art, if you'll um, just kind of zoom in on this, I'm kind of highlighting some pages, but this is the ESV study Bible in a, well, I can't call it leather because that's pretty cheap looking, whatever yeah, it is. Bonded. Bonded, whatever. But this is a, um, this is a mini uh, systematic theology book yep. right here in it. Um, and, and if you are new to the faith and you're trying to get grounded in your faith and you want to, article number one is true theology, knowing and loving God. And it introduces you to the Trinity. Uh, the second article is the Bible and Revelation. It explains general revelation versus special revelation. So maybe you can't afford a um, systematic, theology, systematic book. theology book at this point. You're going to get a great mini one right inside of here. What it means to know God. The character of God with some great charts. For example, communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. That's, that's going to be a totally theological term that you're going to get introduced to. So that's one of the reasons that I would also recommend the ESV Study Bible as a first option. But I have to tell you, I've been using the Holman lately, um, and I really have also found it to be incredibly helpful. Um, yeah, and, and that's where, for me, my experience was coming from the Holman first and then to the ESV and I would put both of them up next to each other. I think they're very comparative, but yet they do have different information. And so if you bought one first, then I could see where you would buy the other one second to get a little variety. Yeah, to complement each other. Um, and, and, you know, you were talking about, Brian, I was, you were talking about the study note contributors. Mm -hmm. Up front in the home, and they, tell you, they show you right away who are these contributors. So right away, First Kings, well, it's... Uh, Andre uh, Andrew Bowling. It tells you what school he went to. Tells you where he got his education from. So that you you're not getting like a single person's narrow focus 
you're getting a broad band of evangelicals who all have pretty much been a specialty in whatever book they picked. Most of the time, they've already written an entire commentary on that book. They've studied it. They teach either New Testament or Old Testament. They're experts in this area. And then you also get articles. And I think these are really helpful articles because we're talking about the new believer, how to read and study the Bible, reading the Bible for transformation, the origin and transmission of canonization of the Old Testament books. A lot of good articles in here. There's an article on church discipline written by Mark Dever, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, Washington, D.C. There's an article on the meta-narrative of God's mission. So there's great articles that you can read um, that will help you grow. Okay, why do I care about articles like that, John? Why would I read an article on church discipline by Mark Dever if I'm a new believer? Well, why don't you just read the Bible? Well, why are you guys recommending an article? Well, it, it, because if you're going to read the Bible, it's, it will take you a lot longer to get to the content because, you know, uh, I mean, we do believe in teaching the whole counsel of God, but if you want to know some, uh, like a quick answer about a certain thing, you're going to have to get to the specific texts in the Bible where those are addressed. And if you're just reading through the Bible, you might be, you know, you know 20 books before you get there, right. depending on where you start, or right. if you have right. no idea where to start. And so it's very helpful that that's, um, really um, scholarly people who have put their, you know, invested their entire lives in this kind of thing have done the hard work for you. So there's, you know, it's just like, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, tr- trust that God has provided these men and women for us to put this stuff together so that we can actually cut our time down. Now, you know, if you have a desire to get into that and learn Greek and Hebrew, great. Hmm. But, you know, most folks don't have that kind of time to do that. And so this gives us access to just about as close as you can get um, to, to knowing Greek and Hebrew by, you know, being able to stand up to next to some of these scholars and really kind of, in a way, ask them a question. Yeah. And they, and they give us an answer. Right. Yep. So, Pastor, why don't we just talk about just a couple more things that we normally find in uh, study Bibles. One of those is book introductions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's a book introduction, guys? What's it like in a study Bible? Well, I think generally it's going to tell you who wrote the book. It's going to tell you the date frame in which it was written. It's going to give you some uh, historical facts, what's going on during that time. Um, it's going to lay out an outline for you and kind of break the whole book down by chapter verse and break, you know, put it in outline form. Um, it's going to fill in um, any key doctrines. And again, depending which study Bible, you know, they might have some key doctrine. I know the ESV often brings out, you know, anything that might be controversial or <clears throat> contextual differences. They'll have a little description of what's going on. You know, when you get to this, this is what you'll see. You know, and this is what is, you know, sometimes debated. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's good. No, that's great. Okay. So, um, so th- another area that we haven't talked about is cross-references. Yeah. Most okay. Bibles have some cross-references. What's the difference with cross-references in a study Bible? I would say that they are more exhaustive. Uh, I, I, they, if they set out to be a study Bible, then they're going to kind of go overboard in providing, but what is a cross-reference? Maybe we need to explain what that means. You know, we're we're making assumptions, and and I think that varies too because as I've gone through different study Bibles, sometimes it's just they'll pick one word in a verse, and then they show you other references where that word is used. And then other times it's more the thought that's presented in a verse, and it's going to reference you to other verses teaching that same thought. Mm-hmm. So yeah. again, so it, what system are they using? Right. right? So it's the <laughs> combination right. or different system depending upon which study Bible you have. And a very similar line is also parallel passages. Right. So for example, yeah. um, the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah. Both of them give the Ten Commandments and so you'll find a cross-reference that is, hey, this this information is also found over in this passage. Yeah, same you, in the Gospels. You, the Gospels, the synoptics right. especially, you'll find here, this is this is what it is in Luke, you know, like we're doing on Sunday nights, and here's the Matthew and Mark version of the same story. Mm-hmm. So there's parallel passages, but then also cross-references. 
um, which is kind of a, I, I would say a parallel reference is different. And here's a similar account. Cross-reference is going to be more of check that information at this passage against this information so that you can compare the two together and get a bigger picture as opposed to a similar narrative or a similar set of information. So I think there are two other components that we normally find in the study Bible. Um, the first one of those would be concordance. So what is a concordance first? Jonathan, you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's the thing at the back of the Bible. It yeah. is. <laughs> so concordance is just a way to um, look out words and find references associated with the word. So if you've got some sort of idea, now, you know, obviously this is different now that we have Google, but, um, you know, you can do whole phrases and things. But if you've got an idea about a verse, a word, and you want to know where is that, you know, I know I've got something in my mind that so the scripture says, you know, something about um, a particular word, and you can go in there and look and see those those references and try to find that. So, John, what is Strong's exhaustive concordance? Now, that would be every one. Every, <laughs> every one what? Every word that's in used the, in, the, in, the, in the... And does that's anyone, that, does anyone use that anymore? Everyone, everyone uses his numbers. Yes. Right. He, he, he established... And so, what, we mean, what I mean by that is, if you go and look... Obviously, we're talking English translations right now. Yes. Right. Behind the English translations, there is a Hebrew and Greek manuscript that plays into that. And... Um, the Strong's numbers, he has gone through, and I don't know if he did it himself a long time ago, um, but every Hebrew word has the letter H and a number. And every Greek word has the letter G and then a number. And every time you find an English word, you can look at the Hebrew or the Greek behind it, and you don't even have to know in Hebrew or Greek. Can you read the letter G and the number that follows to find, is this a similar word or is this the same word? Um, because they'll either be in the similar range if it's, oh, this is the noun form of love versus the verb form of love, or is this, you know, completely different. But you mentioned Google for just to piggyback on there. What, how do you use that, John? What have you found? Well, you know, uh, grow, I've, I've been in church since I was three, and I've heard a lot of messages, read a, a lot of scripture, um, but I don't always remember the reference. And so I've got, and most of my stuff packed in my memory is going to be in King James Right. Um, because that's what I memorized growing sure. up and that's yeah. what I heard preached, you know, until I was, you know, probably 35 or so. And so if I'll just think of a phrase, um, you know, I'll just Google that phrase and then and it'll pop up the reference. Right. Uh, for yeah. It, isn't that it's it's really remarkable how fast Google can find another way you can do is like you can just Google all the verses on giving. Yep. And then, you know, whereas before you would have to go through Strong's and, and do all that. Mm -hmm. Now you Kind of good, and and of course, you know, I think many of us also have um, logos, mm -hmm. um, and so you can do those things too. But that one's pretty. That's a really steep learning curve. Blue letter Bible, Google, a lot easier to yeah, yeah, get into. So the the last area that I think is in most study Bibles would be the area of media, whether it would be charts, tables, timelines, illustrations, maps, etc. So what do they look like that's different than a typical Bible? Well, I've got a page here, uh, Art, if you're able to zoom in on that for us. This is a, the, the, the beauty of this Bible is just incredible. The print, mm -hmm. the color, they've just done an amazing job. Feel that, just the, the, the surface alone. It's just, you can oh, just yeah. feel the quality. Yeah, my net Bible is like that, the one you gave yeah. us. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit different. This yeah. is mine from 42 years ago. <laughs> 42 years ago. The technology it's, has it's, advanced. It's not that different. No, it's, it's not that different <laughs> at all. It's, it's fairly similar. Well, they both have Israel on it. Yeah, yes. right. But, you know, you're, you're in First Kings. You're going to learn about the divisions. You're going to learn about the kingdom splitting, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Well, this is going to be a great map for you to look at and get in your mind. Where is Jerusalem? Where is Samaria? Where is the Dead Sea? Where is the Jordan River? And, and, and a good study Bible, an excellent study Bible, will just be littered with maps like that. that yeah, I, I love this is, this is another one. I'll let you check this out. So this is just an artistic rendering based upon archaeology right. of what they think the city of Jerusalem would have looked like at the time of David and Solomon. Right. And so that's where they've taken information that exists in archaeology that they have found, and now they go in, okay, well, we know the hill range goes this direction. This is where um, we have found... Um, Stones. This is where we have found city markers. What would this have looked like? And so they go and impose on top of that. 
so they take archaeology, dump it on the maps that we know. I mean, you know, we kind of know geographically speaking where Israel is. The Jordan really hasn't changed. The Sea of Galilee really hasn't changed. Dead Sea really hasn't changed. So you use those landmarkers, and then they can kind of put things as they discover more with archaeology over time. Here's the um, the uh, another chart. You mentioned charts, okay? In the ESV Study Bible on First Kings chapter First Kings chapter fourteen, it has a list of all the kings, right? Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, and then it identifies the ones that are identified as bad or evil, <coughs> good, or you know, and then it has them color coded. You're reading along for the very first time, and there's like king after king after king, and it's almost overwhelming to try to get your brain wrapped around this. A study Bible can kind of help you stop. Okay, all right, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, where am I at in the process? This is the order. A lot of work has been done in these study Bibles to make your life easier as a student of the Word of God. And um, somehow I wish I could get more Christians to embrace the idea that a good study Bible will make my daily Bible reading better than it ever has. Slow down a little bit, read the scripture, read the note, go back and read the scripture again, make sure you understand what the note says, pull it together. Really, really helpful. So I think we've covered what makes up a study Bible, what are all the components that are in it, what would you say as far as strengths or weaknesses within study Bibles as a whole or any particular one? Yeah. Well, one we've already identified is the theological bent. Yeah. Um, whoever the contributing author is, the contributing publisher, um, we mentioned John MacArthur. Okay, if Banner of Truth is, is involved in the process, then we, I would expect a very um, bolstered church history section of, of that type material, but also knowing that it's going to be very Calvinistic. Um, Puritan. Puritan, reform. Right. Um, leaning a little more towards a Presbyterian you know, <coughs> um, line of theology. And I would also say what the Life Application Study Bible, it's not going to go greatly into detail on theological things. It's, it is what it says. Right. You know, you're going to read a passage. How does, mm-hmm. you know, what can... How does that relate to me? What can I glean from that for my personal life? You know, the same, the leaders, the Maxwell Leadership Bible, you know, he's not dealing with doctrinal issues. It's, you know, he's looking for um, passages and illustrations of leadership. And then he's bringing out biblical leadership principles that you can apply to your life and other people's lives. So you just have to understand when you're buying that study Bible, what its focus is. Right. Um, and we've mentioned the net, and I'll let Art get a look at this. So the thing about the net study Bible is that it's translation or translator notes. So every translation, they had to pick a word. It has a semantic range in the Greek or the Hebrew that it can pick. Um, it could mean road, it could mean way, it could mean path, whatever it is. Someone had to pick that word. Well, the net, they specifically set out to, here's what we picked based in our translation, and then they give you the note of why did we pick that word based upon, and they'll even say, hey, the Greek says this, the Greek doesn't say this, this particular manuscript says this, this manuscript evidence doesn't say this. Um, and so they give you that more manuscript of translation where there's very little in this study Bible about your walk with God and practical right. application, definitely no leadership um, maps, charts, forget it. It's all about how did we get to arrive to this translation of the Word of God and what's going on in the Greek and Hebrew and the manuscript evidence behind it. Yeah, this is not a, a, a Bible for a new Christian. No. Yeah. Or even just, I mean, depending on your level of, you know, even Sunday school teachers. If you're, yeah. only, if you're only teaching children's Sunday school or you're teaching children's ministries or Awana, it's really not even... I. Unless you just want to be nerdy like that and get into it, it you're not going to have to. I mean, even most of our Sunday school teachers, I don't even know. Sure, they, it would be a nice um, addition. So how do you not, use the Net Bible? So I use the Net Bible when I'm preaching or studying through a passage, and I see that this translation and this translation disagree on what word they chose. Right. And I'm, okay, well, clearly they disagree. Why do they disagree? And so I don't understand all of there is to know about Greek. That's what the net does. They'll say, hey, the Greek word, and they'll give me that G, whatever number it is, or this manuscript, they'll tell me what manuscript it is. 
says this, and this is why we chose it. Or these set of manuscripts, this family of manuscripts say this, therefore we chose this. And that's all they do is they explain when translations disagree is, is where I find the net to be most helpful. And it's an internet-based source that, I mean, it's nice to have the hard copy, but I can search through the internet yeah. version very quickly. Yeah, me too. Right. Yeah. So I wondered, uh, did anybody want to share, how did having a study Bible affect you guys in your growth in Christ? You know, when did you use it first? When did you use it most? How do you use it now? Okay. I, I mean, I guess I've done different things with them over the years. Um, you know, the very first one that I had is the one in front of me, and I can remember, you know, it's a King James, and I could, you know, in this, the open Bible, you know, any of the old English words, they would have, like, the newer English word as a definition of it. So that really helped me as a young person growing up because you read a word, it's like, I don't have a clue what that is. You know, and instead of just going concupiscence over and over again, it's like, I don't have a clue what that is. You know, they'd have a little definition of, you know, the newer, a newer word or something to help you understand that. Um, You know, the introductory notes always helped me. I'd always read those first and get the background of a book and the, um, the, the outline of it. Um, I guess, you know, then as I've gotten different study Bibles, um, you know, and using them in my devotional life, you know, I would, like Pastor said earlier, you know, I would just slow down instead of trying to, okay, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. Instead of doing that, it was, you know, I'm going to read, you know, one chapter and the study notes and then go back and just really study that one chapter in, in more detail. You know, what are, you know, and when you got, you know, I know when I, the first ESV Bible I got, you know, as Brian said, I mean, you know, third of the page is notes. You know, so you read the chapter, and then it's like, man, you know, there's more notes than there were verses. <laughs> and so going through all those study notes and really looking at them and going back, and okay, they said this about that verse, and you know, it, it enhances your study of God's word. And yes, you do slow way down. It's not, it's not going to be a race to the finish. You know, it's just really <clears throat> plotting through that. Um, you know, there have been, I remember years and years ago, uh, I, it wasn't a study Bible, but I got a wide margin reference Bible, you know, and I took upon myself, you know, I'd read a chapter and then I would strive to outline it myself and, and you know, make my own notes based on a study Bible. You know, what's the key word? What's the key verse? What's the outline? And I just methodically worked through the Bible trying to, in essence, develop my own study Bible without all the commentating notes, but, you know, just something different, something to, you know, mix stuff up and, you know, and and, and try to enhance, you know, instead of just saying, you know, reading it over and over and over again, but just something a little different in that, and that's stuff that I've done. I'm going to guess that that's probably a similar background. Sure. Mine was, mine, I would say, would be Um, eye-opening. So the Schofield was the first one I was given, um, and I grew up, I'll, I'll admit, very naive. Um, it was King James only. Um, I didn't realize it at the time until much later, but I'll, I'll use the term borderline Ruckmanites. Um, the church I grew up in, that they basically believed that the King James Version was the only Bible for English-speaking people, and that it was almost, if not just as good, as the original autographs that Paul wrote himself, that John wrote himself, and that if you didn't use it, then you were, you know, almost a heretic. And so when I got this graduating from high school, and I started reading through it, and I started um, this e- being the, this being the Schofield, Schofield Study Bible, yep. which was a King James version, because in in the culture I grew up in, every literal six day creation was right there, like you departed from the faith if you stopped believing in that King James version. You know, like all those legalistic type things that come along with. Um, the King James only movement and I started reading in Genesis chapter 1 and it gets to literally verse 2 and it says and the earth was without form footnote number 3 and footnote number 3 is this clearly indicates that the earth had undergone a catechismic change as a result of divine judgment and I remember it rocked my world that my pastor that I loved gave me a bible of a man who believed in a gap theory and it was just what? 
And so that was very eye-opening in the sense of, okay, not everything, you know, there's going to be some eating the meat, spitting the bone um, as you go through this. And so it was, it was also eye-opening as I started to be exposed to other systems of theology and different translations that, well, clearly it's not all bad. If I can be given a Bible that he believed and trusted in, and he was he believed in the gap theory, but there were other good things that it was, I would say that was probably the first step in me stepping away from being King James only, from being um, all the things that the church I grew up in was, was mm. a study Bible that exposed me to a thought or a process different than what I had always known. So that was some good instruction or stories about how we used it in our growth. How do you use it now? How do you use study Bibles now? Well, for me, Mike, they're my go-to. Before I'm going to a commentary, I go to my study Bibles. First of all, just because I found commentaries to be just so long-winded sometimes, and I love the brevity of the notes in a study Bible. If I, if I find that the notes aren't helpful, if I find that I need more, then, man, I can just go to Logos and pull up four or five good commentaries. But many times, it's just enough information, a thought, something that prompts an idea. Um, so I'll keep my favorite ones on my desk, and I'll have the text open that I'm preaching on, and then I'll have my laptop in front of me, Logos minimized, PowerPoint slides open, and I just like to feel some. I know this, it's, the Bible's on there, I got that, but if I'm going to read the text that I'm preaching for, I just like to grab the text and look at it in on paper. That's just me. Um, and then I'll... And I'll while I'm there, I'm going to look at the notes that are available. So I'm going to look at this, the Holman. I've got the ESV. I've got the net on the corner of the table in case there's a textual variant. And I've got the D.A. Carson notes there. So I've got about four options to choose from, and plus whatever else is on Logos. Okay. All right. Anybody else? How you use the study Bible today? Well, I probably use it differently now <clears throat> because of some practical things, but... <clears throat> also because of a personality thing, I, I on purpose don't take my study Bible into when somebody else is preaching. I take my um, ESV that only has the scripture. Yeah. Because I find myself being a very cynical person. I don't ever like to believe what someone's telling me the first time. Right. So then I'm going to the note trying to prove the preacher wrong, and I, and I get convicted by the Spirit. Hey, knucklehead, you're sitting here trying to prove the preacher wrong, you're self-right, and you're just totally missing the preaching of the word that I'm giving to you. So I, on purpose, don't take it to meetings like that. Um, I don't either. I read it for myself. And then when I'm actually preparing for a Sunday school lesson or, or preaching, is I'll read it without the notes first. Right. Because I want to see if I can be a self-feeder without having to have some notes. Yes. And I also want to see how obvious the thought is to me before I go and get my ideas colored by another person's um, instruction. And then, and then after I read it and sufficiently feel like I have like the whole flow of it. And then when there's questions, I'll write them on a yellow pad and I'll go look for those answers in, in some study notes. And, you know, study Bibles are very concise, so it's quick to do that. Um, they're also very connected. Um, and, and the other thing I find with commentary, sometimes they just don't address your, your yep. you know, they just like, you skipped it. Right. This is like something really hard and you skipped it. So you have to go to three or four different Bibles to try to maybe find somebody who actually addressed that issue. And then if you go to like five of them and it's not addressed, you're going to say, everybody's a weenie, right? <laughs> they just don't want to mess with that. I'm not that it's, too, it's too hard. Yeah. Let's just skip that one. Yeah, I don't think I ever say that exactly. <laughs> no, I'm not sure that's my choice. But I agree with you wholeheartedly about looking at the text without the notes, John. I, that, I couldn't agree any more than that. Yep. So, Pastor, one thing that you had mentioned that might be helpful is for us each to grab one of our study Bibles and look at a couple different passages and just kind of compare what is on the page of the different study Bibles. All right, so, John, you take your MacArthur. Sure. Right, you take the Holman since you're our Southern Baptist. Yep. Right, grab the life application, Steve. What's left? I got the ESV and the Schofield. All right, I'll give you the D.A. Carson. Okay. Okay. Can we go to Ephesians? 
No, we're not going to Ephesians. Okay, let's see. You want to go to um, Reformation? Is it it Hebrews 4.6 where it talks about those who have tasted the... No, he has some passages picked ahead of time. I'm trying to to pick something that would not be controversial. Yeah, they're softballs. Uh, What was that comment you made about people being a weenie? He just said it again. So, uh, he said so, it again. Let's do, let's do a Genesis passage. I picked out one, uh, chapter 1, 26, 27, 28. That's a passage that you reference That's in, in the Old times. Testament, Steve. Okay. Uh, Pastor, you reference this passage, uh, not weekly necessarily, but very, <laughs> weekly? very oh. often. Uh, bi-weekly? Well, no, it's a very important passage. So, I mean, you do reference it often, uh, not necessarily in the notes or the PowerPoint, but you'll reference to... Uh, this passage. 26 and 27, is that what you have for us? And 28. I think all three go together. Yeah, but, yeah I agree. You know, we could just, you know, so like what's notes for 126 in somebody's study lab? What do you have? Why does God use the plural form? Let us make man in our image. One view says this is a reference to the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another view is that the plural wording is used to denote majesty. Kings traditionally use the plural form in speaking of themselves. And then also, in what ways are we made in God's image? God obviously did not create us exactly like himself, especially in a physical sense. Instead, we are reflections of God's glory. God is sinless, eternal, and unlimited. Although we are given the potential to be sinless and eternal, we are also given the choice to fall short. We will never be totally like God because he is our supreme creator. Our best hope is to reflect his character and our love, patience, forgiveness, kindness, and faithfulness. Knowing that we are made in God's image and thus share many of his characteristics provides a solid base for self-worth. Human worth is not defined by possessions, achievements, physical attractiveness, or public acclaim. Instead, it comes from being made in God's image. Because we are like God, we can feel positive about ourselves. Knowing that you are a person of infinite worth gives you the freedom to love God, know him personally, and make a valuable contribution to those around you. So does anybody have anything different than that, or is yours very similar? No, this is the ESV study Bible, and it's not similar. Okay. And, and it's not similar in this sense, and we don't have to bore the reader with reading it. But that was all life application, Steve. They just mm-hmm. took that mm-hmm. and just went to you as an individual yeah. and how you need to think about that. Mm-hmm. The ESV study Bible is not going in that direction with you. It's much shorter. It addresses the idea of the us that you personally mentioned, it talks about sons of God as being an option in Job 1.6, New Testament calling them angels. Significant objection is that man is not made in the image of angels, nor is there any indication. So it has more of a theological bent yeah. towards it. Yeah. The D.A. Carson notes um, when he talks about mankind in those verses, he says the Hebrew Adam is used to, for, to refer to the human species. So he's going to dive a little technical a little hey this is the word that's here in the english this is the hebrew behind it and he talks about the you know the us and the image and you know the court and ruling and stewardship and all those things but he also addresses that yeah what's the home and how um so mine's more similar to the esv where it talks more from a theological perspective of the using the plural terms uh, talking about what image actually means and likeness, what's the difference, and then being created, uh, what is God meaning when he says subdue and rule and multiply, and so, but it's much more theological. Mm-hmm. And, and again, Art, to take a look at this, so here's the page in the ESU Study Bible. There's your text. That's all notes. It's two columns, and the font size is smaller. So, uh, pretty wanted, similar, right? Yeah, in order if you want to do a comparison with the Holman Study Bible, it's very similar. Again, much smaller font and more than half the page with notes. Right. And, and I guess, Mike, these scriptures are so foundational to our theology that I would just want to encourage the reader to slow down and make sure they do understand what it means for humans to be made in God's image. Um, If we're not made in God's image, then what sets us apart from a monkey or any other beast on the planet? Um, Or something as simple as let us make man in our image. And if you're not careful, you could just blow right by that on on your quick reading and not understand that this perhaps is a reference to the triunity of God as early as Genesis chapter number 1. Yeah, and what I think is interesting about all these different um, ways that they do it 
is like, and I, because I'm looking at this, um, this is the John MacArthur, and he addresses some of those same issues, but it's, it's a very, his is a very abbreviated format. You have to really think about, so you see the verse, you see the number, and then he says, us dot dot our, okay? And then he gives the clear indication of the triunity of God, right? And then if you go over to this, the ESV, it says 126, it actually gives you that, let us make man in our image, so it gives you more, and then it gives a clear sentence. Like, <clears throat> the text does not specify the identity. But in John MacArthur's, he's giving you phrases, kind of like a commentary does. And sometimes when you're just reading phrases, like two or three phrases, and then they've changed the thought and the idea, and you're going, what? Oh, wait, and now you have to get your bearings. So it takes a little more time to read a note like this because it's not put in full sentences, I guess is the best yeah, way to say Yeah, I guess it. that's one of the reasons why I could not recommend go buy a <clears throat> MacArthur Study Bible. Uh, you know, there's, they come up in the, our small groups all the time. Like you can quickly recognize the notes. It's a single person with a single theory. We're, we're, not, we're not disparaging him in any way. He's made an incredible contribution to the body of Christ and all that. But he doesn't even address the other ideas that are out there concerning that. He just tells you this is what it is. Now, I just want to circle back because a couple of you have mentioned it, but I want to make sure that we get it out there very clearly. You guys talked about a method of reading the text then reading the notes, and then going back to the text to be able to make sure you're focused in on what is actually inspired and you're just trying to gain the benefit from the study notes. Right. And, and I want to make sure they hear that because we're not saying that the study notes are the end-all, be-all. We're just saying that they're an extra help. Because I know for me, I got into trouble back when I got my Nelson Study Bible, and for a while there, I was burning through the text to get to the study notes. And, and, and I wasn't giving God's word the time or the focus. I just wanted to see what yeah. the study notes were. Yeah, and then that, God, that's a mistake. Yeah. Right? That's a mistake. Yep. Clearly God, that's a mistake. Yep. God convicted me of that. And so then I had to, I just had to put it down for a while and just get a Bible that just had just Bible, no notes at all, uh, because I couldn't help myself. And, and, and so yeah, I and if you can't help yourself, then yeah, I agree with you 100%. Yep. But we're dealing with Hebrew. I don't speak Hebrew. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with Greek. And even if you're reading English Bible, you still have languages. It's an agrarian society. I didn't grow up in the same sense, same sense of an agrarian society. There's just so many cultural differences that the notes have the potential of helping you grasp more from the biblical text. But we're not in any way, shape, or form trying to minimize the text. Do we need to go to another passage, or do we just want to sum up any points that we've missed? I think we've done a good job yeah. explaining um, how the passages relate and, and what the options are. We want to remind you that if you read a study note, remind yourself that's one man's opinion. Or a group collective, as we talked yeah. about. Right. But in any case, somebody had to just be the ultimate arbitrator yeah. of what word they chose and how that sentence was formed. Um, and so that doesn't mean that it's Bible. It means it's one group or individual's opinion. That's why I will pick up and go grab another one. Yes. And go grab another one and throw it right on top of it and see, do they agree? Do they disagree? Um, before. I need to make a decision, and I want to get multiple opinions before I make that decision. So in closing, one point that I want to make is that once somebody has their Bible that they carry and bring to church, I think that it would be very wise to invest in at least one study Bible. Absolutely. Uh, before you buy commentaries and go any further down the road in anything else, I would go to a study Bible first, and I would do, like we talked about, an ESV or the Holman, the Christian Standard Bible. Those would be one of my first two. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%, Mike. If, and I would say that if whatever translation that you're reading out of, then I would get the opposite so that you now have two translations to look at, you know, so that you now have the ability. And I know that there's just a whole small segment of uh, what Baptists that are still bent on a single translation, but if you're serious about knowing God's word, what does God's word really say? You have to be willing to read more than one translation or memorize Hebrew and Greek <laughs> and, and become a scholar. Right. You either have to go that far, or at least be willing to take 
multiple translations of people who do know those languages and trying to translate them for you. Yes. And I think for a lot of people, getting a study Bible, I know it was for me, it's like a watershed moment where I really want to know the Bible for myself. I don't want to rely on the preacher just said this. Or and in, in my case, I you know I went to a very you know we, we would say Armenian um, college and um, was in a very Armenian church environment. And there, my Sunday school teacher and myself, we were asking questions that people were just giving these bad answers that I just didn't really like. And I was like, that, that, that can't be the answer. Mm-hmm. And so you know the John McCarthy Study Bible is the one I got. Yeah, um, it was like a. It was like somebody standing next to me when I was all by myself. And I remember we painted, I worked on maintenance, we had to paint a whole bunch of classrooms with a two-part epoxy. And I just listened to John MacArthur on the radio for the first time ever. And, um, and I was like, what is this preaching where you're preaching through a book of the Bible sure. verse by verse? Yeah, right. You know, and I think the first person I ever heard do that was Joseph Stoll um, when I was back at Word of Life still. Um, and they never asked him back because he did that. But it was just like this moment in your heart where like, Man, I want to know verse by verse what this means in context. I want to understand the text. Then I want to see how it applies, if it applies to me. And, um, you know, that was like a, actually like a friend there that you didn't have because I was outnumbered. Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I can agree with that. MacArthur had the similar kind of impact on me in the same sense. And then you gave me the ESV. And then suddenly, because by MacArthur was New King James, right. and that was a little better, but then the ESV blew, blew the doors off the English part of it. And sometimes I'm reading it, and I was like, did you see what that just said? Yes. What? what? Yeah. And I would read, read that in, in King James my entire life. Yeah, my wife grew up reading the King James. She probably read the King James Bible 20 times through, <clears throat> uh, and I gave her ASB. And I said, I just would like you to read Duke. And she, so she complied. Complies not there. She willingly said, she "Okay, no, no, <laughs> submitted, no, no, and more no's." She said she'd try it. Well, yes, John, she was doing the same thing you're talking about. She would literally leave her devotions and come and find me and say, "Do you see this right here?" Because yeah. sometimes you read the same translation so many times yeah. that you just blow by it and it jumps off the page at you. And, and you and I know that that's what led to the salvation of my brother-in-law because you gave him a an ESV and he wore that thing out. You should see it now. It's just oh, yeah, falling it's just, apart because he took it on deployment, you know, in Iraq. Nothing to do but just read that. And it was the study notes in the Bible just in his own language, you know, that he could read very clearly. Yeah. Yeah, I took a life application Bible to, Desert, uh, to De- uh, one of my earliest deployments and I just destroyed it because I was just using it so much. As a, um, that's one of the difficulties of the hardback. It's mm-hmm. it's really just for in your office and all that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do well in a rucksack or anything like that. So, um, well, we really hope this podcast slash video was helpful to you, and that you'll consider investing in a quality study Bible. It'll be money well spent. If you're wondering what to get your um, husband or dad for Father's Day, and he doesn't have a study Bible. We would recommend that that would be a great Father's Day. It's in June sometime. And um, again, Mother's Day, get your wife a study Bible if she doesn't have one. Make sure that your house has several good choices. Uh, Now what? Sorry, sorry. I I said their grandparents' day, children's day, (laughs) birthdays, whatever event it is. We're trying to have this like quality closing, (laughs) like a real professional video, and it's impossible for us. Oh, it's quality. Yeah. (laughs) So thanks for listening, and uh, have a great day.